everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm joined by my partners in crime, Laurel Hightower and Rich Duncan. And we are here for another conversation with Chad Lutsky. Um, so, yeah, Chad Redux. Um, but, uh, Chad, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks. I'm, I'm glad to be here talking to you guys, especially now that Laurel's here and I can chat with her, too. Yeah, and last our last episode kind of had a pall hanging over it that we couldn't get around. So it's this, <laughs> yeah. There are three of us. There's a much better chance you'll have somebody to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, interestingly... Um, we're we're obviously going to talk about your horror novels, but we're also going to talk about something else, and that's the new one, and that's a whole different thing for you. So, uh, you want to you want to run that down a little bit? Uh, sure. Yeah, it's um, it's just another book that another experiment. Uh, I've done a couple of them before, and I get nervous with each one because. Uh, I want the readership to follow, you know, and yeah. um, it's but this is like a crime noir um, and it leans toward it has got some humor and some grit. It's it's not horror at all. It's uh, I guess it's my answer to um, like Lansdale type of stuff. Um, I guess it's probably where I got, you know, heavily influenced from some of the humor and the dialogue and stuff like that. Um I drew big influence from a couple of movies, a couple TV shows, like uh, a movie I saw called The Florida Project. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's a Hindi film. No, I've been uh, meaning to check it out. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. With it's got Willem Dafoe in it, and a bunch of like first-time actors and some bunch of people that aren't actors at all. But it's very believable. It's it's very cool. And then uh, the Rockford Files. I'm a big Rockford Files fan. I was too. I love that show. And uh, what else? Yeah, like Lansdale. Um, I just like the idea of uh, for the Rockford Files. You know, the guy lives on a beach. He doesn't have much going on, and he's kind of like this uh, loner guy, and, and who you know independently tries to solve you know cases. And I thought it would be really neat to um, write about somebody that's kind of in that you know situation. So I, I don't have a lot of noir stuff to compare it to because I actually haven't written or I haven't read a lot of that. Um, so it's just something that, uh, yeah, I thought would be fun and something that I thought could be dragged out into a handful of books, you know, at least three of them, hopefully. I would think easily, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and it's, uh, I mean, you've definitely got the voice for it, whether you've read a lot of it or not, you know, I mean... There are things that yeah. you do here that are immediately scream noir and nothing else, you know. I mean, like a thin man with skin like a saddle that's seen too much ass. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, you got it, brother. Thanks, man. <laughs> what's, what's weird is I think all three of you have read three different versions of the book. Shane's got the, the, the complete last one. And uh, for those who don't know... Both Laurel and Rich uh, were beta readers and really helped me out, along with a couple of other people, with some things that, uh, funnily enough, they pointed out a lot of the same things that I wasn't happy with. 
Um, so that was, that was really, really helpful. So hopefully now it's all fixed and cleaned up and. Hey, there's something too, Laurel. Now, now you have proof that you're not the only one I screwed over on a bear. (laughs) (laughs) I I gave you 130,000 words. It was was a horrible thing to do to you. (laughs) That's like four books for me. (laughs) Although I saw your, your collaborator is making you write a novel. Is that right? Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's, it's coming along uh, great and very organically, but uh, I guess it's, it, it's easier that way, you know, cause then I'm not solely responsible for every single word. So. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, cause I saw that too, you know, if it was kind of daunting, but like you said, working with a partner probably lessens the strain a little bit. Yeah, particularly because of the way that we're doing this one. I've never written like this before. I know there's like a handful of ways to collaborate. And I think this is my like, this is my uh, third or fourth collaboration. Um, And this one I've never done before where we brainstormed some ideas. um, And then we didn't have an outline. We kind of had a mental outline of where we were going and stuff. And uh the other author had written, um, I think, a f- the first chapter and then sent it to me, and I just butchered it. I, I, I basically rewrote it, and um, I felt really bad about it. I just wasn't uh, – I guess I just wasn't kind of happy with it and or, or the tone or anything like that, so I completely rewrote it. And then I said, how about – how about um, – how about you – write most of this and I will write all the revisions and they agreed to do that and thought that was a good idea so I don't know what happened but they they, uh, everything that they've sent me since then has just been uh, phenomenal like uh, like they've really like upped their game or something it's it's been a a joy I can't wait for people to read it it's going to be great so um, so it's like a it's a it's it's a different than the collaborations I've done with like Terry West or or uh, John Bowden where we you know we send the ball back and forth and then you know we hit it back and then we hit it back and this is this is a little bit different than that. Yeah, that sounds like I've heard of uh, other collaborators doing that kind of thing, and it seems it seems pretty cool. And that's one of the things I like to hear about the collaborations is, like you had said, you've done a bunch of these, and they all seem to have had like different styles. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that's interesting because you could pick up like little things from each one. Yeah, that might yeah, help I- you with your stuff. For sure. The, when, when writing with John, it's, uh, you know, we write, even though his prose is a lot more like poetic than mine, he has a lot more of that stuff where I just kind of sprinkle it in a little bit here and there. His mind is um, just always in that mode. So everything you read, I mean, um, sometimes it can feel dense, but everything that he that you read of his is just just really beautiful, beautifully done. Like it like he's just studying this line all day and he's not it's just how it comes out and but we're able to kind of um imitate each other really well like that and our voices uh blend that way and that's not always what happens like that wasn't really what was happening at all with this other collaboration that i was doing um 
If we were going to write that and send the ball back and forth, everyone would be able to tell who wrote what. There was just no question. And so I never really wanted to to do the whole like <clears throat> you write the first draft after we come up with all, all the ideas and then, you know, I'll revise. I never really wanted to do it like that, but I can understand now why people would do that, because if you don't, um, you could have issues with, uh, you know, it wouldn't be seamless. And but like I said, uh, everything that has been sent to me um, instead of like struggling to find a sentence here or there that we could still use, it's uh, most of it's being used. And it's been it's been great. He was a great writer. That's excellent. And I, and I so wish I could it, say who it was. Oh, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, uh, yes, <laughs> sounds pretty circumspect. So I'm guessing we're not going to get to know. But <laughs> he, he, he probably wouldn't mind, but we haven't discussed it. And I, you guys are familiar with with this person. Um, and but I've got all of this. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm also writing something that's barely been started at all with Bob Ford and, and John Bowden, the three of us. So that'll be something entirely different because there's three bouncing stuff around. Yeah, that sounds really exciting because, I mean, I could be wrong, but I've never heard of like more than two collaborators aside from I think there was like a shared novella that Richard Thomas did with uh, like Damien Angelica Walters. And I forget the other person, but I think that was kind of similar, but it's not very common. Yeah, there's four yeah. of them. There were four yeah. authors in Chiral Mad 4. I forget the name yeah. of the story now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be interesting and, and I think it'll work good. You know, we're all basically fans of each other's work and we're on the same page with uh, stuff. I, th I think it'll turn out really nice. Very complimentary voices too. So I mean, it sounds like a good mix to me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, kind of getting back to the neon owl, it's, it's kind of funny because you said all three of us had, kind of different versions mm -hmm. and i the one thing that i wanted to mention was you know we've kind of talked about it as uh like the relationship between jinx and roddy like i that was one of my favorite things like they just fit together mm -hmm. so well and like the comedy between the two and just their relationship and i was just curious if you could kind of talk about how that originated like i know you and i spoke about it personally yeah. but Sure. Um, yeah, basically, um, I know at least one of you is Red Skullface Boy. And when I wrote that, um, it was just this road trip of running into one person or, or people into the next. Some of them were bad people. Some of them were good people. Some of them were really off the wall. And I had I had the most fun with the off the wall uh, people, um, like kind of like the David Lynch parts and just being creative like that. Um and, and, and expecting the reader to kind of like almost ignore and just realize this isn't bizarro, but this is weird fiction and just go with it. And I thought that was uh, fun to do. And so when I was writing the scene where um, Jinx first meets Roddy, initially he was just going to be this drunk handyman that lived there um, that was inappropriate. And uh, because he is right away because he's, yeah. he's drink, drinking. And then when I got done with the scene, uh, I just really liked him. And I didn't know that uh, he was never supposed to be any kind of a, like a sidekick or anything. Um, he was just supposed to be, yeah, just kind of fleeting character in there that would maybe pop up once in a while or at least the 
you know, the, the scene uh, toward the beginning of the book. But um, I guess I liked that, you know, that camaraderie too. And so I just kept it in there and um, all the way through the end. And I felt like it worked because Jinx is more of like a kind of like a kind of a, you know, more of a gentleman. And then Roddy, I'm able to use, you know, he's kind of like um, his filter isn't really there as much as Jinx is. His. <laughs> and he's kind of a, you know, I don't know if you'd call him a pervert. He's just your typical got horny dude, I guess, you know. Yeah, I so, kind of call him a pervert personally, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> But, yeah, so I was able to kind of, you know, have those, you know, like play off each other and and have try to keep, you know, Roddy still a a likable guy. Yeah, he he comes across that way. And like I said, that relationship was like one of my favorite things. There's a lot of funny moments there. And it's kind of funny because they kind of like joke around with each other a lot. But you can tell that there's like a deep friendship there. Like when mm-hmm. Roddy uh, picks up the phone for him and, you know, basically yeah. hints that he was listening to him talking about, you know, always wanting to be like an investigator. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I Yeah, I like that, too. I I um I don't I don't outline. So, um you know, everything is was pantsed. And so, yeah, I hadn't I had no idea I was going to keep him in there. Yeah, and it, it's it kind of cool. Go ahead, Laurel. Yes, sorry, we're already doing that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I think that was very successful. I really, I like their, you know, their back and forth, and um, yeah, I mean, he's an interesting juxtaposition to Jinx's character, but he's also like, I mean, yeah, he's like a, you know, a horny dude, but he's also he's kind of a gentleman in his own right, you know, in yeah. in the way that he's sort of old-fashioned protective. Yeah, he just doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. Um, I guess uh, really care, you know what? What he's 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 a lot more punk rock than than Jinx is, I think. Yeah, which is pretty funny because, uh, like, normally you would think that about Jinx because of like he has all the records and stuff, and I, <laughs> yeah. I definitely related to that part of it. But um, it's kind of cool. Like one of the things that I had wrote was, you know, about that when you had initially mentioned that to me was that I was so glad that you ended up keeping Roddy in there. And it's, it's cool because like you said, you kind of pants your stories rather than outline. And it's almost like you could kind of see your excitement about that character through like their relationship and, you know, how he is in there. And like, I was just wondering, you know, what was it like for you when you realized, you know, that you kind of liked that relationship and then you started like writing him? Um, I think initially I was like, crap, am I writing Happen Leonard now? Because I was already, <laughs> I was already drawing influence from, uh, from Lansdale and, uh, uh, you know, and I, it did frighten me a little bit, you know, that it was like, great, I've got this kind of duo, you know, oddball couple here. And um, so I, that was a concern of mine, but I, I, it wasn't something that, that I was going to let go just because people would have those comparisons. You know, I don't care if, if somebody wants to say that, that, you know, this is like a Happen Leonard thing or, or whatever. That's fine. Well, because it's almost more like an homage than it is like, I mean, it's not, yeah. you know, it's clearly not a yeah. kind of direct ripoff or anything. That's so, true. Yeah. 
that's true. I also thought um, I I really like the the kind of storyline that you have there with Audrey, because I'm I'm a sucker for having at least a little bit of romance in there, you know. But but I really liked that it was something that was kind of like his quest, um, you know, but doesn't like totally take up the whole thing. But I really liked Audrey as a character. Thanks. I am a huge sucker for uh, like sexual tension or, or will they, won't they type of stuff. Like things like uh, uh, Jim and Pam in the office. That to me was like the driving, like a major driving force in, in the whole show. And so I, I wanted to have that in there, but not too much of it because even though I do kind of like, uh, you know, sorry, my, Phone. I don't know if you guys can hear my phone. Um, I do like, you know, romance movies and stuff like that. I didn't want to really make it about that, but have it be kind of more of a subplot. Yeah, that was a pr- that was a pretty cool uh, subplot for me too, because I I kept wondering, you know, if he was ever gonna try and meet up with her. And, uh, you know, it's kind of cool, like, when you originally, like, mentioned this book to us, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. Like, I knew that you had said it was more, like, noir. And I mean this in the best way possible. Like, I was totally taken by surprise between, like, all the different, like, you know, mysteries, like, the thing with him and Audrey. And then, like, the first case that they get, I guess, quote unquote, um, <laughs> yeah. like, like I definitely didn't see that coming. Like, I don't know why, but I accept, I expected something like more serious. And then when I read that, I just started cracking up and I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I, when I, when I wrote, like I said, because I'm pantsing it and here I'm trying to do a, I didn't even know if it was going to be a murder mystery. I was just like, I'm going to have this dude here and then he's going to meet this dude and he's going to inherit this place. And, and he's going to figure out, you know, something's going to come along the way that he's going to have to, you know, so all of that stuff was discovered as you, you know, just like in the order that you read it, it was just, that's how it was discovered when I was writing it. So the, um, I, I, I was like kind of, um, I can't just have this. I can't just have uh, a guy <laughs> crapping in the, you know, outside and expect people to take this seriously. Because while my, some people might think that's funny, you know, I didn't want it to be just this joke book. I wanted to have, yeah. you know, some other stuff in there. But I also wanted to set a tone that that's why I, I gave it the subtitle that I did, because I wanted it to set a certain tone. So when I say this is crime noir, the subtitle right away tells you okay this is not like a super serious thriller this is gets you know something else in it you know some yeah. poo poo humor or something <laughs> <laughs> we should put that in the like notes like when we say like what we talked about we'll just say poo humor <laughs> <laughs> But it was really that element when you you hit that point because Richard told me watch for the first mystery you'll know when you hit it. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking I I must have passed it. It must be really subtle, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. So subtle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it but it really contributes to that feel. It was you mentioned um, some influence from you know all your different influences. That one of them was uh, the Rockford Files, mm-hmm. and I mean you really captured the spirit of the kind of the kind of feeling that you, 
that just emanated from that show. You know what I mean? Awesome. Thanks, man. That's good to hear. <clears throat> do you do yeah, that? Yeah, I love that show. Oh, yeah, I did Go too. Go ahead. Go ahead, Laurel. Sorry. It's so, wow. We can really hear well on this mic, I think. <laughs> it's kind of nice. But um, I, I was going to say, kind of in going back to your collaboration efforts, I thought that was, I've never collaborated. And mm-hmm. I've always wondered how that would work. But when you're talking about, you know, your method and, and the way that you pants and way things sort of like just appear that way, I can see how that would lend itself better to a collaboration effort because it's like, you know, stuff just appears and it just doesn't happen to come from your head. So, I mean, do you yeah. feel like it would be harder to do that if you were more of an outliner? Harder to collaborate if I were an outliner? Yes. Yeah. Um, not really, because, I mean, in a sense, like uh, the person that I'm collaborating with that, that we were talking about earlier, um, that, that I haven't given the name yet, that <clears throat> it's it's not a written out outline and we don't have a, like a secure ending. We just, we, you know, talked a couple times and then um, I think we had a, the last time we had a Skype discussion and we were going back and forth with different ideas, but we still didn't have a direction. And once we found a, an actual direction, then it's easier to pants. Um, you know, so even though it's like, um, and it doesn't feel like a bunch of, uh, you know, filler, but um without that direction then then you then i kind of you can kind of just like wander around aimlessly <clears throat> and with the, one of the reasons why i don't outline is because pardon me is because uh i just find it so boring i i've done it once before uh we, I, I wouldn't call it a collaboration but i was uh invited to write a book in someone else's um uh someone else's world and it was nothing that i ever would have written on my own it was a supernatural thriller called american demon hunters and there was uh, by jay thorne is the original author of the original novel of that and then he invited um a few authors to write novellas within that world but we had to go um jay writes with very strict outlines and as a matter of fact, he's I can't remember exactly what it's called, but he's like certified for um, uh, to as an instructor to, to to I think it's called the grid or something like that. It's some really extensive uh, outline process. And so he made me learn this thing and then do the outline. And then I had to pitch him my story using the outline and then he liked it. So then I read it and then he edit it and took out like 3000 words. And then I cried and then he put like a thousand more in (laughs) back in for me. And then, uh, um, but it wasn't, it was fun because it was nice doing this with somebody in somebody else's world, just using three of their characters that they created. And there were certain rules, like they couldn't die, you know, things like that, because then, um, the, the, each book wouldn't be cohesive. You know, they, they're supposed to be standalones. So there were certain rules that needed to be followed, but um, it also felt like a chore because I knew what was coming next, and um, I had to get from A to B, and then to C, and then to D, and there were no surprises in between for me, <clears throat> and I didn't like that at all. That's also the most intense outlining process I have ever heard. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was a he's a certified outliner. Yeah. 
dear God. Yeah, him and him and uh, Jay uh, Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon, uh, they have their uh, they they're a collaborative team now, and they actually are the only other people that I know, um, and I know there's tons out there, but that that like Jay or uh, Zach will write um, the entire first draft after their outline all of it, the whole thing by himself. And then he'll hand it over to Jay and Jay does uh, all the revisions and they put their stuff out like that. But, uh, and they're successful, you know, they were able to quit their jobs and, and um, uh, do this for a living, but it's just not anything. I don't like to go by that uh, template and, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that for me, um, if that's what writing was about, I would, I would not even bother. I don't think. It's yeah. just too. Uh, I, I don't like. I just don't like doing. It. I like the discovery along the way. For me, it would just drive me out of my fucking mind, and you'd never hear from me again. <laughs> <laughs> Shane has bailed on the project. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, it's so interesting too, hearing everybody's different process on that. That has got to be the extreme end of outlining that I've heard. Um, because I, I definitely outline just because I'm I'm sort of a disorganized person. So if I, mm-hmm. I as I've found, when I don't, it becomes, you know, 300,000 words of just utter shit. So sure. <laughs> I, I have to have just at least, you know, a little bit of an arc there. But that's but I mean, I'm always very impressed because, you know, you're if you're totally pantsing that and your work is just very linear and cohesive and it's, you know, follows an arc. So clearly that works for you. Yeah, and that's why I don't believe in uh, the you know those one of those rules I just don't believe in yeah um, that that some writers try to toss around because I think it's BS and you know you're doing fine your your book that you just put out everybody is just going nuts over it I see it everywhere and you said you outlined that um, I started outlining about halfway through which is probably why it took me nine years to <laughs> to write it's it's you all know. been kind of a work in process but yeah. But like you said, it, it works for you. And, um, you know, I don't – having done I, – I, actually, someone was asking for some writing advice the other day. Um, they wanted to know, like generally on Twitter, they wanted to know what people did and if they pantsed or outlined and stuff. And I said that I, I pantsed, um, and I told them why. But I And they said, good, because that's what I do. And I said, but I would encourage you to try to outline because you never know if that might be something that you discover – truly helps you exactly yeah that's true and i'm sitting here going fuck i never thought about that maybe i should (laughs) (laughs) yeah some people they did it just does uh it helps i'm also one of these people who you know you've got your writers who feel like they'll die if they don't write and it's such an enjoyable experience i'm not really like that i'm more of the guy who hates writing but i love seeing it when it's done and i I do that with (laughs) painting too i hate painting i hate doing any kind of artwork but when i'm done i love to look at it and be able to say yeah you know this is cool i I like this but i absolutely hate the process it causes me tons of stress and that's why i don't do it very much that's interesting i've not encountered many people like that um i tend to be that way with art not so much with writing but with art i uh really like the outcome but i hate the process of getting there Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just feels like labor to me. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think for me, I think it's because I'm a perfectionist and I know it's never going to be perfect and that bothers me. And so, um, it, you know, 
if I'm doing something like uh, like a portrait, you know, a commission portrait or something like that, it's like I know that it has to be, you know, like there's a difference between doing like realism art and then doing something that's just artistic where it's like kind of free flowing and you're doing it like therapeutically. And that art I do like, but I don't get high anymore. So it's harder for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that still just for the, you know, just for the hell of it, just to unwind, but I do smoke dope. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I'd have that advantage. Yeah. I just don't. Plus I'm not, I'm not heartbroken and I'm not angry. Um, you know, writing songs or doing a painting when I'm going through a breakup or something like that was, is so much easier to do. So maybe that has something to do with it too. Uh, is, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Like the, the emotion just has to come out somehow and that's the avenue for it. Yeah. And you just have this certain mindset, um, where, you know, your mind is just so filled with all of this uh, like grief and turmoil and ups and downs and and to have something that you can do artistically uh, some really beautiful stuff can come out and I know that uh, there's a lot of famous albums out there that are that are um, written <clears throat> uh, you know in that mindset and then they get happy and content and it's just not this you know unfortunately it's just not the same I, I'm, I'm a big I'm a big, I'm a big Cure fan and when I heard sadly that uh, Robert Smith's uh, album that he was writing and recording during that time, a couple of his, I think his mother and his brother passed away. And I, I wasn't happy that they had died, but I was happy that he was bummed when he wrote this album because I knew it was probably going to be as good as Disintegration. It's Hopefully. funny on the on the music front, too, because it's like I've, I've definitely had that discussion with, you know, friends of mine. It's like I, I've been married for you know, 11 or 12 years now and like you know, we're, we're very happy and very content. And it's like listening to some of the songs that we used to just really rock out to and really feel a lot of emotion to. I'm like, uh-huh. You know, yeah. I mean, they're, they're still good, but it's like, oh, well, I don't really want to take a Louisville slugger to his headlights or, you know, anything yeah. like that. Everything seems fine. So, you know. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking today, um, or maybe it was yesterday, that I, you know, I'm still a huge fan of hardcore and punk, but I can't, get up in the morning and put minor threat on. It's just not, I'm not that pissed off anymore. And, you know, I, I, I just, I'd rather listen to, you know, jazz. And then when I'm kind of maybe angry or just more awake, then put on some black flag or something. See, I'm an angry old man. I didn't start listening to, to <laughs> punk until a couple of years ago. <laughs> it's, it's good for you. Keep listening. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's, I listen to it almost primarily now, but not quite. But um, So, yeah, I guess I'm an angry fucker. <laughs> My wife would probably confirm that, too. <laughs> Only she would say dick, not angry. <laughs> Oh, the love languages, yes. But um, <laughs> well, this is a good segue, Chad, because the so so when you know Shane was like, okay, well, Chad's going to come on tonight. I was like, oh, okay, so I've had this um, your novella, The Same Deep Water as You, uh -huh. and I hadn't read it yet. So I started like flying through it this afternoon, and it just seems very applicable to this because I feel like I'm about halfway through. Okay. And you know, when you're when you're talking about. Um, just the, you know, having the certain emotions that that translate to writing or creating art in a certain way. I mean, like, 
I, I didn't have, you know, a teenagerhood exactly like this, but you, this is just so on point, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering how, what, didn't this get put out and was it 2018 or 20? Uh, very beginning of 2019. 20. Okay. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's not been that long. So I was curious how, you know, how, how you managed to put yourself back in that headspace. Um, I have, I'm big on nostalgia and I have a very vivid memory, even, uh, through my, uh, like partying days, which were, uh, extensive for a while. And so I'm able to, uh, it's kind of a blessing really to have that memory because I really value, um, you know, some of the, particularly like the age between like 16 and 21, um, I had a really good time and, and so I've just kind of cherished that and um, um, yeah some of that stuff is just vivid and actually the book is was <clears throat> an experiment too big time and I was really nervous about because it was my first one that I had put out well Skullface and that boy isn't a horror either but it was the first one that's truly not any horror whatsoever but it still had it was like my idea of writing a romance because it still has uh, some really heavy, dark stuff in it. Um, but it also, it was an easy write because I, I read, I wrote it in like 10 days. And the reason why it was so easy is because uh, about 99% of it is, it's basically an autobiography. Oh, almost every single tiny thing in that book uh, happened. So it was just a way of me kind of reliving a year or, you know, or most of a year in my life and then writing it down and trying to, and adding a couple, you know, dramatic things and stuff that with the hope that people would, but I never marketed it like that. I didn't, I mean, I've talked about it, you know, on podcasts and stuff if someone asks or something, but I don't like market it as like that because I thought it was just a story that on its own, that would make for a, a cool indie film or just a cool little, book for those who like character studies or you know things like that yeah so far, people that's, dig it yeah I mean, that's definitely something i would watch you know in film format i just thought i think it's interesting because um i i feel like and of course i wasn't you know in your head at the time as a teenager but i feel like you capture it's it's not just the memories of it it's not just the nostalgia it seems very focused in time and place as far as like the realism of the emotions for being that age. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I just feel it. And that's kind of like, I, I have a, my stepson is 24. And um, one of the things that I feel like I've noticed in helping to raise him. And then with my, my toddler is that I, I don't run into all that many people who very clearly remember the emotions of childhood and adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, you know, those memories are still so vivid for me that it's like I kind of can look at the boys and know, you know, what they're feeling. Yeah. And so I, this is this has just been a very striking novella for me to read for that purpose. So that's cool. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because like my youngest uh, just turned 15 and I was talking to my wife the other day and I was I was feeling kind of heartbroken because he doesn't know that he's going to fall in love probably within the next one to two years. And what he also doesn't know is he's probably not going to end up with that person for life, even though he'll think that he will. And we all go through that. And, and some, there are 
are outliers who marry their high school sweethearts and they never have another boyfriend or girlfriend and then they live forever like that. But that's not usually the case. And so it's kind of heartbreaking to know that this is going to happen and it's going to feel like hell and uh, you're going to feel like you want to die and not really realize you're going to feel alone. Like nobody's ever had this kind of heartache and that you're, how can you, how can you go on? And I remember going through that uh, the first time and having it be uh, pretty scary. And by the time it happened again, I was a little bit more prepared knowing that I'm going to, I'm going to be, I mean, this is going to hurt like hell, but I'm going to be able to get through this. So yeah, I, I guess I just was able to hold on to, uh, um, some of that and I guess it's both a blessing and a curse when it comes to writing uh, it's a blessing for sure yes yeah because it, it translates very well to the page on that so thank you I've been hearing about book. the Lutzky tears I've been hearing about Lutzky tears for a while now <laughs> so <laughs> it's a real thing <laughs> it is it's a real thing damn sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh that one got to me a lot I I think that was like the actually like the first book I read in 2019 and it it was it was pretty heavy. I related to a lot of different parts of it. And uh you know it's interesting that you said you kind of like the nostalgia thing and kind of like thinking it would make like a cool indie film. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to I'm going to totally sound like a nerd especially if nobody else has ever heard of this term. But I was wondering if you were cuz it kind of reminds me of these types of films like in the early 2000s <laughs> they were called like mumblecore films. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you heard that term but uh like the stuff that the uh, Duplass brothers did and like uh, Noah Baumbach and all those people. I was wondering like, you know, would you kind of see that your book as kind of like a literary version of that sort of type of film? Dude, everything that you just said should be like, if my name is ever in the in- encyclopedia <laughs> or Wikipedia, um, that is a, not only first of all i just learned what mumblecore was like a week ago i had no idea that there was a name for that kind of thing but i draw more influence from uh movies heavy dialogue driven character driven films indie films than i do any book i've ever read so i think that that's why my like the, the the indie films where there's just a small cast of characters it's very heavy dialogue uh, very heavy, heavy on characterization. <clears throat> All my books are like that too, and so yeah, the, the Duplass brothers, huge, huge fan. Um, and I was just talking to somebody the other day. Yeah, they, I was Duncan Ralston. He said he doesn't like Mumblecore, and I was like, well, you better. He's read a couple of my books. I really <laughs> liked him. I really liked him. I said, well, stop while you're ahead because I'm gonna disappoint you because I love it. <laughs> and it really comes out. But yeah, movies like uh, I don't know if. You guys have heard any of these like Spring Forward and Lawn Dogs, uh, River's Edge, um, Prince Avalanche, uh, um, uh, what's the one, Paddleton? Uh, oh, man, that movie, <laughs> that yeah. movie was like the saddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it tore me up. But I understand people not liking that. But I get yeah. really bored with explosions and car chases and fights and stuff like that. But I can sit there for two hours and watch somebody have a discussion, um, you know, and then break my heart at the end, like Paddleton. 
You know, there's not a lot that's going on in that. It's just two dudes hanging out. And yeah. I love that. I love movies like that. And yeah, that's where I get uh, most of my influence from. And, and speaking of Duplass Brothers, I was after I watched Paddleton, I went on this rabbit hole watching all these interviews with Jay and Mark Duplass, like in conventions and talk shows. And I watched all these things. And I found out that Mark um, was a, uh, a big reader, too. So I, I, I pulled a stalker move. I found his home address and I mailed him a copy of uh, Fosterums and Flies, Skullface Boy, and The Same Deep Water as You. I don't know if he'll ever read them, but they're there if, if he wants to. Dude, that's like the coolest story I ever heard. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, and I'm and I'm also glad that you had heard that term because I'm like I'm gonna say this and everybody's gonna laugh me right off the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, yeah that, that's cool a, I didn't know there was a term for the kind of movie that I like until like I said like a week ago when Duncan Ralston said something oh yeah I, I love all those movies I ha- actually I said uh, I had heard I had heard seen you know I'd seen it like on some of the tags on the and when I was going down that rabbit hole I had seen the term being thrown around and I didn't understand it because I thought mumblecore was that like new rap where the dude's uh, <laughs> act like they're all drugged out you can't hardly hear what they're saying <laughs> I thought that that's what that was because when I hear some, when I hear anything core to me you know yeah. it means uh, uh, music you know hardcore or metalcore grindcore mumblecore I think that way yeah so I thought rap stars are mumbling and that's mumblecore so yeah yeah, I had heard the word before, but I I never had a definition for it. I thought it was just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no. So. I think when I first saw those movies, like in the, I think it was like a big term in like the early-ish, mid-2000s. Like, I didn't know about it at first either. I just watched all the movies, and then like I heard it called that. And I always thought it was like the stupidest name, but... yeah. <laughs> but like I love all those movies. Like I've seen so many of them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You, you <laughs> got you got to admit it would be a great name for a stoned rap band. <laughs> I mean, for that type of music, mumblecore. <laughs> Shane's yeah. uh, Shane's debut LP will be dropping sometime in the next month. <laughs> <laughs> People can't understand me when I'm straight. <clears throat> but I don't. I don't. I do try to add a little bit more. You know. Uh, I don't think that my books are like straightforward, like what you would consider like mumblecore. It's not like yeah. some big long discussion with. So I try to, I think, but but if somebody doesn't like, uh, I think I've gotten a bad review on Deep Water, and they complain about, you know, I don't care about. Um, said something about I don't care about a bunch of kids skateboarding and drinking beer. You know, this is dumb kind of thing, and I get that. You know, it's not necessarily in everybody's wheelhouse but at the same time i've been super surprised at some of the people who have connected with it and have really um liked it quite quite a lot yeah and uh real quick because i know i know you you said you sent them did you send them recently because i'm curious if like one day i'm gonna log on twitter and see that he like uh mentions your book i sent them uh it may have been like maybe six weeks ago. 
Um, okay. It was it was this year that I sent them. I'm also impressed that you were able to find his mailing address. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't that hard, and, and I, I double-checked, triple-checked, and uh, I figured, you know, if something happens and, and that's not his, then somebody in L.A. will have it, so. Yeah. But he might, he might, he might think, oh, this is really pretentious, and uh, and and get rid of him. But I, I, the interviews that I saw, particularly the ones where he speak, he has like a speaking engagement somewhere. I can tell that he really um, respects people who kind of make moves like that, daring moves like that. Yeah. Um, because he's done them himself, you know, himself, him and his brother. So. <clears throat> I, I could see him maybe being a little bit more open-minded and go, well, this guy just totally call, cold called me, but I'm going to, you know, maybe one day check one of them out. Maybe he won't like him. Maybe he won't check him out. Maybe he'll give him away. I don't know. But hopefully they'll fall into somebody's hands. Did you send them with a Chad Lutsky bookmark? So. <laughs> Talk about pretentious. <laughs> but then he would know that you merited your very own bookmark, man. So I don't know. It could go either way. Oh, or right. suspect he made it himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's like wearing your own band T-shirt, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm guilty of, but. You know, whatever. That mumblecore thing, though, is kind of interesting. I'm I'm sitting here, all of a sudden, books are popping into my head that I never thought of that way because I didn't know what the fuck it was. Um, that all of a sudden is like, oh wow, carnivorous lunar activities. Um, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, because there's so many, not not enough really, but a lot of those dialogue driven books like that where the story really is in the character interactions. Yeah. I think uh, uh, J. David Osborne has written a couple books, uh, black gum, <clears throat> excuse me, black gum and, uh, I think it's called a perfect start sitting up here, but I can't read it from here. Uh, anyway, it's like a sequel to black gum and it's not as good as black gum, but, I loved Black Gum. I think it was my favorite book from that I read in 2018, and I, that would probably be considered, uh, you know, mumblecore reading, if you will. I guess I would agree with that. I read that one too. Um, okay. I didn't know there was a sequel to it though. That's kind of killer news, even if it's not as good. But, it's called, yeah, but, it's called A Minor Storm. Okay, I'm gonna have to look that up. So, because. Uh, I really, really liked his voice, but oddly enough, that's the only thing I've read by him so far is just black gum. And yeah, it's so I hadn't heard him before and I'd never read anything of his. And when I read it, um, I just loved it so much. It, it, it's one of those books like a lot of these like, you know, mumblecore movies or whatever you want to call them, these indie films. They're not necessarily films that I try to turn onto other people because I think sometimes they're just so personal to me that <clears throat> that I like them like there's a movie called <clears throat> man excuse me I'm keep coughing <clears throat> there's a movie that I really like called Bottle Rocket <clears throat> and it is uh, not for everybody it's a comedy but the, the sense of humor is so dry that I can see a lot of people not liking it but it's one of my favorite movies and Black Gum <clears throat> is like that as well so 
it, it's not something that I'm like, oh, you have to read this, unless it's somebody who's into something that I'm into. And his prose is so lean in that. Um, and is a good example of what I like to read and what and and the way I like to write. So when I wrote Skullface Boy, and I was doing a final edit, I read Black Gum a second time just to get in that kind of mindset of killing every single fat unnecessary word that I could get out of there. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, an interesting book that way. Like you say, he's got a very very lean style. Nothing mm-hmm. is wasted. Yeah. Um, but then I can also I can see that in your work, too. So, I mean, it was definitely, definitely prevalent in the pale white and um, in what I'm reading right now, even to a degree. Black gum isn't even, you know, it's I didn't like it for the story as much as I just did as being a great example of what I would like to do. And, yeah. And what I would like, the, the just the wordage of it. I really appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah, just the the technique alone is worth the trip, worth the price of admission. Sure. Um, pro- I mean, but I think, like you said, it's not something I'd recommend to everybody for you yeah, know, much yeah. the same reasons that it's kind of personal. And mm-hmm. everybody else would just start it and go, God, that guy's a fucking nerd. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, um you know, going back to the neon owl too. So I'm, I'm, you said, you mentioned, you thought that you might be able to draw that out into like at least three stories. I was curious about the mm-hmm. status. Have you, I mean, I know you're just getting ready to launch the first one. What are you, have you have thoughts on the second or. If I was, if I was uh, a patient guy at all, I would have written all three. Uh, it's probably would have been the, the best way to go, but that's why I wrote the introduction. I didn't want people to like be like, well, I'm not going to start this quote-unquote series until all of the books are out because um some people do that and i i this is kind of how i saw as being in comparison to happen leonard too is the sense that they're all uh they're standalones and you can read them by themselves you don't need to wait to read them in order or, or wait till they're all out or anything and i didn't want people waiting around um so i tried not to i mean the endings of my books are usually kind of ambiguous i don't like to spell everything out i like people to walk away and close the book and go i think that this probably happened you know because i point to a direction that it's like yeah this probably happened but i don't you know spell the whole thing out so i don't consider that really a a cliffhanger that what happened at the end of the neon owl but i have no like plans because i haven't started writing as far as like what they're going to get into next i can guarantee you it's not going to be about poop uh, <laughs> but and, and hopefully it won't it won't take me as long and uh um i don't know you know when i'll even start my whole year with <clears throat> you know i've got the the i'm writing another book with john bowden that is um that I'm really super excited about. And then I'm, I'm writing the thing with uh, this other guy. And then I'm supposed to be doing the thing with Bob Ford and John. And then I'm supposed to, after that, I'm supposed to do, or during during that, I'm supposed to write with another author that you guys are all really familiar with. But um, that hasn't started either. So I think most of my year is just going to be uh, hanging out with other people and writing um, that stuff. So I, I'm I'm in no hurry. 
And I guess it also depends on the reaction that, that I get for the neon owl. You know, if people, um, anybody who's written, put a book out, you know, you, you, you go through those stages where it's like, this is the greatest idea. And then you start writing it and you're like, this is the worst idea. And then <laughs> you do that final draft where everything, you know, you put all the little details in there and you clean it up. It's nice, crisp and fresh. And you're like, this is the greatest idea. And then release day, it's like, it's back to being, this is a stupid <laughs> idea. And this, this so, fucking book sucks. Why did I ever put this out yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you've read it, you've read it too many times. You stared at it too long and, and you know, you can't, you can't seriously tell if it's good or not. You just can't. And so, um, I have no idea. I have no idea if, uh, you know, if people were going to be like, well, I liked his other stuff, but he shouldn't write this kind of stuff or it wasn't funny. It was supposed to be funny or it wasn't this or, or um, you know, I'm sure I'll get reviews. They'll say, well, it's not really horror, but because I, I get those all the time. <laughs> but, and I'm like, you're right. It's not really. horror. <laughs> no. You, yeah. I never said it was. Give that man a gold star. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing there's nothing spooky about uh when the shit hits the van. <laughs> well that depends on who you ask. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, if you're the person standing in front of the van, it's kind of spooky all of a sudden. <laughs> well, you know, I I totally uh, identify with the whole like you've stared at it so long and you you don't know whether it's you know, you want it to burst into flames or you're about to get an award, but, um, ha, you know, having read it and I'm not you, I, I think it's, I would, I think it's going to be very well received because it was just an extremely, it was a very enjoyable experience. And and it was actually my first one of yours that I had read. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's gonna, I think it's going to be a good launch. Well, thank yeah. you. I, For one thing, it's, I, it's Chad Lutsky. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's I, I, I get a little nervous when I do something that's like out. I mean, when I first started writing, I never wanted to just write specific thing. I wanted to be like McCammon or even King, you know, who who goes into different genres with like Shawshank and and um, the Green Mile versus like something like Pet Cemetery or or Eyes of the Dragon or you know. But and Lansdale does that uh, really well, you know, from the drive-in to Happen Leonard to a western, and I just wanted to be that have my own voice and have the readership follow throughout just like we all do or you know i don't know if you're all fans of lansdale but just like lansdale's fans absolutely. do absolutely um we he it doesn't matter what he's writing we're gonna read it and we're and we're gonna love it and we're gonna laugh and we're gonna you know uh so i don't i, I that's what i wanted but my fear is that if somebody picks up you know uh like the neon owl and they're like, Oh, I don't really like Lutzky. And I can't really say, well, I, wait a minute. I got stirring the sheets over here. You know, <laughs> I got the postrums and flies. So but, there are certain, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say what I was, what I interrupted you with before and obviously just interrupted you with again <laughs> was that, um, when I said also it's Chad Lutzky was that, um, it's it's your writing, it's your prose, it reads like your work, um, and and what that is is that it reads like you're just telling the story that you wanted to tell when you sat down at your typewriter or computer or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's there are certain books 
like Skullface Boy and Deepwater and uh, and Neon Owl, where they're never going to be probably the the one that I point to first. Even though I might like like my favorites are probably Deepwater and Skullface Boy, just because there's a lot of personal stuff in them, and they were so much fun to write. I didn't have to research um, heroin addiction and and how depressing that is. I didn't have to re- you know go through the grief of stirring the sheets. I didn't have to you know it was. A, more or less in, a, in like either a nostalgic or happy place when writing those. So I have different kind of like attachment to those, but they're never going to be the one that I point to and go, Oh, you haven't read me before. Try these. I don't consider them a very good gateway book, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Because I they're guess, so far reserved. I guess that, I guess that depends on what someone's looking for. Um, like I said, yeah, the Neon true. Owl was the first one that I've read of yours, and so the the Deep Water is the second, and it, yeah, it's a it's a damn fine gateway as far as I'm concerned. But well, I mean, I, I guess it, and and as far as you know, not not being you know wanting to stand there and say wait, but try this one. That's that's our job, um, you know. So if if someone says that, you know, we'll be happy to stand there and say, okay, well, you need to try this Lutsky next, then. You're right. We'll take, you're right. We'll take it, that off you. <laughs> it, it does depend on it because I guess I'm I'm mainly looking at like the horror audience because that's kind of like in my tweet I did earlier today, I didn't even know who to send the book to because I didn't want a bunch of people to hate on it because it's not horror. Um, so I didn't want it to send to a bunch of, you know, horror review sites because it just doesn't. They might not. That might just not be their thing. So I guess I was thinking more of like that horror audience you know it's not it's not like necessarily the the first go-to that i would say here but yeah so you're right it, it really depends on on uh the reader i can see that though that as far as the horror audience goes if you're introducing someone to your work that's not wouldn't be my first recommendation either to someone who is a horror fan yeah uh, I would recommend it to him as far as what I've read so far, but I would recommend one of your horror books first. Yeah. For your, do you feel like for your Patreon, um, is that primarily who your core, uh, supporters are is, is horror community? Um, uh, I mean, I have, uh, I have, more patrons than I or patrons that I thought I would end up with, but um, I, I would say probably maybe Instagram and or Bookstagram or whatever you want to call it and uh, um, Twitter, I guess. Um, I, I get tagged in a lot of stuff, and it's always nice to wake up and see all the stuff that I'm tagged in or what what somebody really liked or something like that, and so I, I get a lot of a lot of uh, <clears throat> support through that. And, and obviously the, the, the Patreon thing is super supportive because they're, you know, paying for exclusive content and everything. And that makes me feel really good. And, and I definitely don't take that for granted. I'm super thankful for, for that. And it, it it's kind of mind blowing to think that there are people out there who are that interested in that. And it's part of what uh, keeps me, writing because I'm like I said earlier because I don't really enjoy writing um, I'm not one of these people who necessarily like the topics and the subjects that I choose are for me um, but I don't r- necessarily write for me if that if that makes any sense 
Like if I didn't have an audience, I wouldn't. I just wouldn't bother writing. Yeah, that it does make sense. It is interesting. I've I've never I I don't think I've ever heard anyone else express it that way. But um, yeah, that's well. And I mean, Patreon is so cool. I didn't I didn't know that was a thing until you know fairly recently. But it I mean it is you know you're providing exclusive content and and it is just like sort of a throwback to like the days of you know when artists had patrons and I absolutely love that because. Mm-hmm. You know, I I just I like being able to support artists and and have them be able to put their stuff out there. I I think it's I think it's an awesome setup. So yeah, I do too. I almost I knew about it for a little while and I almost didn't do it because I didn't want to set myself up for embarrassment and then you know have set it all up and then say hey everybody I got a Patreon page and then nobody shows up and then I would just be like you know, Lutsky, what are you doing? You know, nobody cares. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to do it, but I was kind of um, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah, we thought about setting up a Patreon too for Ink Heist, and that's my, that is, I think, both mine and Rich's biggest problem is that, yeah. you, know, you know, all three of our fucking readers will go and support <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, like This Is Horror has a lot of patrons and they offer exclusive content. And I think if you guys did that, as long as you're um, as long as you're not like I was on um, uh, I was on actually This Is Horror once talking with with Michael and with um, uh, David Booty about uh, self-publishing and indie publishing, um, small press publishing and uh, Patreon was brought up and he was talking about how David Moody was talking about how he doesn't really agree with it. And I was like, well, (laughs) I've got a Patreon page, but this is how I do mine. And I, and I make sure that it's not a donation thing. Um, That's why I have, I mean, people like when I put out spicy constellation, it was, I had a, a, a a new story. Um, And these weren't stories that were like, I dialed in, they were like the best thing I tried to write, you know, because I wanted to offer not just exclusive content, but content that was really good, but that I felt was really good and worthy of putting into like submitting somewhere or, or, um, you know, um, putting into a book. And so I, um, took the, the 12 stories there and then I put them into an anthology that was only available to my patrons in the form of a paper, uh, paperback. And then everybody else, um, would get Kindle. So the only ones who own, other than like a couple, maybe a couple family members or close friends, the only one who owns a paperback copy of Spicy Constellation and other recipes is my patrons. And they also, I, I created two covers. They picked the cover. I, I said, do you think this would look better, glossy or matte finish? And, you know, I just had them be part of that whole kind of process. And I think that and, and to be able to give them something that nobody else has, I think that that kind of stuff um, makes it worth it and makes it no longer any kind of like a donation thing. Like, you know, donate to my cause of writing. And if you guys put like um, – like uh, if some of your podcasts were like video podcasts, you know, where <laughs> people are like – because I like, I, I like to watch people uh, talk. Like – whenever I do one of these podcasts and they're like, we're going to do Skype. And I'm like, are we doing video? Cause I like doing the video. Cause I like to see everybody's face and, you know, 
and I get kind of bummed that we're just doing the audio. But I think a lot of people, they like um, that kind of thing, you know, that like, oh, I get to see them talking about whatever they're talking about. And you could probably come up with all kinds of other, you know, ideas for if you want to do a Patreon page. Yeah, I think we have uh, some ideas, but yeah, the main reason we don't do video, honestly, is like right now I'm recording it in my walk-in closet, <laughs> so like <laughs> that would be people like all this stuff in there. Your, your, your listeners already know that. And there's, there's, a, there's a reason to sign up for $5 yeah. right there. You get to see yeah. Rich in his closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For five bucks, you get to take a tour of the famous fucking closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you get to watch. You get to actually watch Shane talking to his muted microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Here you go. But yeah, it's it's uh. You mentioned that episode of This Is Hard. I listened to that not that long ago because I think it was a pretty recent pretty recent episode and i think like one of the biggest things is like and we have some ideas is like trying to think of things that would be like worth it to other people yeah but um too i have a couple i have a couple uh fun questions because last time that we had you on i unceremoniously got dropped from the skype convo yeah but uh, I know we were talking about like music and stuff, and I know you had told me that you had like a horror punk scene, and you interviewed people like The Accused and Bruce Campbell and Henry Rollins and stuff like that. And I was just curious if you would wanted to tell us a little bit about that, because that's kind of like a – I don't know if maybe you had other stuff before, but maybe like your first thing is like publishing, basically. Uh, yeah, it was basically just a, a D, complete DIY thing that um, right down to, you know, taping the stuff in the zine and, and Xeroxing it, you know, uh, it was stapled, everything. But I managed to, <clears throat> it, it started out just as like, it was going to be like this um, punk rock thing, uh, zine. And I think this is like, this is in the late 90s, I believe. And I was really bored. I had just uh, – I wasn't in a band anymore, and I still wanted to kind of contribute to the scene. And so um, I started the zine with a friend of mine called uh, Cornflake Overdose because we live in – I live in Battle Creek, and all your cereal is made here, um, Post and General Mills and Kellogg's. And uh, our first – there was a bunch of layoffs in our first um, – uh, issue had this big like uh, boycott Kellogg's type of thing, and the, the uh, after the first issue, um, I decided to turn it into my my friend of mine got too busy or, or something, and and so I started doing the zine myself, and I started I decided to turn it into a horror slash punk thing because of some of the interviews that I was uh, getting, and um, I started getting tons of mail. Um, you know cds I, I got turned on to bands like uh i was getting bands it, it, stuff from any anything from like fu manchu who are not punk rock but they have like punk rock ethics um so i got turned on to the whole stoner rock scene through the zine and um all kinds of stuff of bands that i would never would have heard of before i was getting films for review from trauma and uh i 
talked, I had an interview with Lloyd Kaufman and, um, yeah, a couple guys from, uh, like Bobby Steele from the Misfits and Michael Berriman from, um, he's in a ton of stuff. Uh, the, uh, I can't remember what the disease he has. The, the guy from the, um, he goes to conventions and stuff. He's in Devil's Rejects and he's in that oh. Smoking in the Boys Room, uh, Motley Crue video. He's got buggy eyes. He's the he's Pluto in the Hills Have Eyes, but he's he's in a bunch oh, of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Really nice guy, and and so I got a lot of that stuff. Like yeah, like Henry Rollins and Bruce Campbell, and and it got really um, uh, big, and then it got a little bit too much for me to handle, and I started writing reviews for a couple of other more established magazines, uh, music reviews, and uh, I just quit doing it. It's. I think it started to stress me out a little bit with like demand, sending it out. Uh, I was getting mail from other countries like Singapore and stuff like that. You know, there'd be like a dollar fifty in an envelope, and um, I just ended up. I had. I got. I got a whole bunch of interviews for the next issue, and I never put it out, which is a shame because it was. Uh, I had DRI, Electric Frankenstein. Um, Fu Manchu and uh, a whole bunch of other, I, I can't even remember now, but it was like a really, really, oh, grade um, snap case. Yeah. And it was a really good issue, but uh, I never, I never put it out. I, I also got tired of transcribing everything. Cause I, I, this is, this is before like Skype. So I had one of those um, suction cup things that you stick on your phone on your house landline phone and then you run it into your stereo and you record the interviews on um on cassette tape and then i play them back and i would type them out and uh it was it was fun while it lasted it was a lot of fun but i remember those i'm probably yeah. the only one here old enough to you guys <laughs> no i i don't remember those but like i can i can kind of picture what he's saying because like about transcribing it yeah mm-hmm. yeah i do a lot of uh, transcription at my job so you have my sympathy that's especially <laughs> in a setup like that so well yeah that's i i which is ironic because for the past uh i think i'm going on 13 years now or 14 years i've been doing transcription and uh so yeah i definitely wouldn't want to do like as my day job, I do that now. So, um, I wouldn't want to add add more to it. And uh, just out of curiosity, Chad, because I'm not sure when you interviewed him, but like I love Henry Rollins, but he's a notorious like tough interviewer, like earlier yeah. in his career, especially. Like, yeah. Would uh era was that and did you do it live or on the phone and what was it like interviewing henry rollins um i just interviewed him again late last year for shock Toto magazine but yeah i actually have that issue I okay the yeah. first one that i did was they were both email and the first time i reached out to him was this was like late 90s so I think he had quit music by then. Um, and I had, uh, you know, he's one of these people who he just has never 
forgotten his roots at all. And he's really easily accessible. But for that particular issue, for all of the issues, I I had a question for for every band or actor or whatever. And like one of the issues was like, who do you think? Just silly, stupid questions that I would ask yeah. each one. Just to, it was like kind of like having a poll. Like one issue was like, who do you think is hotter, Ginger or Marianne? And you guys, I don't know how old you all are, but you might not even know who I'm talking about, Ginger or Marianne. I, I, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To um, me, it Marianne is the easy choice. So I was always curious because Ginger was supposed to be the hot one, and um, I do not. I agree with you <laughs> totally, one hundred percent. Yeah. So that was one of the questions, but the issue that we had Henry in, I asked all of the the people, including Henry, who would win in a fight, him or Glenn Danzig, and it's kind of a question. <laughs> And uh, he said, you know, I had some really good questions because I I knew that Henry was, you know, he is a tough interview and he is giving his, you know, taking time out of his day to have this conversation. And so but when I asked that, his reply was, oh, man, and you were doing so good, too. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't press that one any further. But this this next time. When I was asking him about, uh, you know, publish the publishing business, you know, the, what he does with his publishing company and writing books and what he reads, I knew he wasn't big into horror, but I was hoping to try to get him to talk a little bit about horror, and he didn't at all. Um, but it, he, it just sounded like he, it wasn't something that like he read it in high school, but he just never was never really interested in it's he had, none of it is on his radar at all. He's like no interest in it, but the, the, uh, the, the interview was a lot. He spoke a lot more than I thought he was going to. I thought his answers were going to be really short. And I've, I've talked to, uh, Henry at least a dozen, dozen times through emails over the last like 20 years. We share the same birthday. So I always send him um, uh, you know, a happy birthday, and and I throw in there that, uh, it, you know, that it was my birthday, and he's wished me happy birthday back. I'm sure if I were to write him right now, he would have no idea. It's not like he remembers me. I can't imagine how many emails the guy gets every day. You know, it probably takes him. Uh, he probably takes a good couple hours every day just to write back people who bother to write him. That's kind of amazing that he does. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. I wouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I would try. I would probably have maybe try to hire somebody that would maybe forward me stuff that was, you know, yeah, something something you know more than just letters that say I love Black Flag and you're the man and you know I would. Yeah. That that would drive you fucking nuts after a while. Yeah, after a while it would it would kind of lose its appeal. I think. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's funny because, like like I said, I'm a huge fan of his. I actually that's the only tattoo I have is the black flag tattoo. But uh, like I had seen something. It seems like now that he's you know later in his career, he's a little bit he's a little bit more open in interviews. But like I remember watching one of those early ones where some kid was interviewing him, and <laughs> yeah, man, when they were in Mi- Michigan, yeah. Yeah, and like, <laughs> yeah. I was 
I was getting tense just watching it because I'm like, oh man, this is this is just brutal to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kid that kid didn't back down either, man. I mean, he was. I I think what what got to him was that, you know, at that time, uh, I don't think people understand. I mean, you have this punk rock band that is just straightforward hardcore punk, and then here comes this guy. You know, he's replacing a singer. Well, he's replacing what they were on there. Henry was a fourth singer. And yeah. so, and then he's growing his hair out, which is a huge no-no to do uh, in the punk scene back when they were a lot more closed-minded, you know, before cro- crossover and stuff came out. And so you got this guy who's growing his hair out and their music is changing, you know, there's damaged, but then you start to, you know, like side B of my war is just a, it's hard to get through, honestly. I mean, I like it, but I can see people not liking it at all. Um, it's very like slow and drawn out and kind of a mess, you know, a noisy mess. And so uh, I remember that kid talking about him selling out. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Henry, I, I don't know if you've ever read his book, Get in the Van, but yeah. you can tell where he got a lot of his, you know, punk rock people in 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 those days the punk rockers, they were ready to throw down, and you've got this guy that's kind of, you know, muscly and outspoken, and people want to kind of stand in line to get, you know, to talk smack to him and stuff. And and I know he was always having people, you know, taking swings at him and burning him with lighters and kicking him and stuff like that. And so he was just kind of like this rabid dog that was ready at any moment to, you know, and and sometimes would bite first because he just got so much of that. And I, I a friend of mine um, hates Henry because he met him and he and Henry treated him like a jerk and stuff. And and this was back in Black Flag days. I was like, dude, get over it. Like he still hates Henry, everything about him. And I was like, dude, just get over it. You know, just you got to understand where he was. Kind of, yeah, he might have been a jerk, but I, I can't imagine eating out of dumpsters year after year trying you know traveling uh you know through the country and other countries and stuff just trying to survive and then not knowing if you're going to get in a fight that night and i would imagine that you know plus he's always he's just an angry guy anyway he's had a, he had a pretty yeah. rough childhood yeah yeah i have read uh in the van and like yeah when he they talk about like him getting stabbed with pens and hit with bottles. Yeah, I I guess yeah. I'd be pretty pissed off too. I've got the I've got the black flag bar tattoo on my uh, wrist as well. Barred for life. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, go ahead, Shane. Nope. I was just gonna say here we go. We we finally got our long awkward silence <laughs> no. no it's funny because I, I was telling i told chad after our our first conversation with him because him and i like a lot of the same bands i was like oh i was gonna ask you all this different stuff and then i got cut off and the mic wouldn't work <laughs> and I, could, I could i could talk music all day all night i could talk music and movies Rich was on Discord frantically trying to type questions to me to ask. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think yeah. one of them, I was like, ask him about grade. Yeah, because I, I had, yeah, 
Because I had mentioned Grade, and I couldn't remember Rich was the one that, because not many people know about him, and their uh, Under the Radar album is in my top ten of all time. And so uh, it's always nice to hear when someone um, has heard of Grade, so I can, I, I'm sure that he was sweating, going, yes, that's me, I'm, I'm the one who listens to Grade. <laughs> That's pretty much exactly what I sent to him. <laughs> Sad, sadly for him, uh, I don't know if I saw that answer while we were still talking or I saw it. No, no I think it was after. Yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, I go over to Discord and it's like, oh, I totally fucking ignored him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was because we what we didn't know is that Rich could hear us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, no. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, that was one thing I was gonna ask you about too, because I know that you said that that was like one of your, one of your top ten favorites, and I was just curious. You know, I'm sure probably I'm I probably am the only person that is either on this show or listening to this show that knows about grade. But I was just curious, you know, what made that one of your top 10 albums? Uh, I don't know, man. Honestly, I can't figure it out because, uh, you know, I heard, um, I like some hardcore, but I'm not a huge like East coast hardcore fan or like late nineties hardcore. I like some of it, but, um, I think maybe it's because some of the bands that I really liked uh, in the, you know, like in the eighties started to go like suicidal and DRI both started to get really metal and I loved their first albums and the, and I became so disappointed. I love all their stuff now, but I, I, I remember being disappointed hearing them go from, uh, you know, being these punk rock hardcore bands to kind of like, me, you know, have this like metal edge to them and it was disappointing, so I think that that kind of maybe left a bad taste in my mouth for some of the other later uh, hardcore stuff. But I was really picky with it, you know. Like I liked, you know, some of it, and then some of it I didn't like, and there was just so much of it that I didn't listen to a lot of it. So when someone played me um, uh, "Separate the Magnets," uh, Grades what second album? Technically, I think their second album. Um, there was this uh it was melodic and but it was still really uh uh hardcore you know and 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 then the vocals weren't like like i like melody but i like gruff vocals not like death metal monotone stuff but like i like them to kind of like switch a little bit and i don't like clean vocals in my metal so much unless it's like iron maiden i guess or something like that but I, I don't even know how to describe it, but when Under the Radar came out, the production was better, and I thought the songwriting was better. And it was a little bit more radio-friendly with a couple of the songs, but there's just something about that record that, um, and the lyrics, I love the lyrics. Sometimes they don't make any sense to me, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, they don't, when you, when you follow along in the lyrics, and they're, you know, and they're not really rhyming, and they're weird sentences, and they're split up weirdly, um, <clears throat> It just it felt cool. It was just a weird way of writing. Propaganda does that too, big time. But that guy's a incredible lyricist. But uh, I don't know what it is about that. I still can't figure it out. And I'm constantly, constantly on the search for bands that sound that have all of that that they have that scratches that same itch, 
And there's always usually something in the bands that is missing. But I'm always searching for a band that sounds that does that same thing for me that Grade does. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure uh, Laurel and Shane are probably like, "What the hell?" Because like I'm totally <laughs> nerd. I'm totally nerding out over this stuff. But the last uh, music thing I had for you is you had said that you had uh, the band Small uh, Brown Bike play at your house. Like you guys had like a house show. Yeah, well, that, that totally blew my mind because I would listened to them for years. And like to think that, you know, they played at your house. Yeah, it's weird to me because they're a local band. So it's not like a, a big deal. It's weird. There's another local band called Thought Industry that got really big on, on Blittle, Metal Blade. And it's hard to it's hard to understand how big a band might be outside of your because you're familiar with them and you've seen them play. And like my band has played with Brum, Small Brown Bike. And I'd had show, I had a bunch of shows at my house, and I had them play, and and I liked them, but I didn't realize, you know, until later on that they were bigger than, you know, than they were. I mean, I didn't even pay them or nothing. It's just I, I have the show. Um, I videotaped all those shows, and I have uh, the um, I have that on videotape somewhere. Awesome, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was when um, Maximum Rock and Roll magazine used to have a, 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 a book that they put out every year. It was had a list of all of the bands that were touring with contact information and then all of the venues, including houses, that um, you could call to book your own tour. And um, I put my name in there. And so I had bands from San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago playing there, too as well as the local bands like Small Brown Bike. And, and my band, I have my band play all of the shows, too. Right on. But, I mean, that's, of course, the price that, you know, they had to pay, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding, man. I, I'm sure your band was fine, too. <laughs> yep, those are still, good times. Do you still play, Chad? Barely. I feel like I should I, know that, but... I, I barely. I mean, I have. Um, it's one of those things where I just don't. It's almost like I don't see any sense in it because I'm not. I'm not writing songs anymore. I mean, I, I play my guitar once in a while. I don't like seeing anymore or, or any of that, and I, I just don't write songs. So I just don't find myself. I guess I don't have the time. Like if I had the know-how to use my computer to record, because I've got some really nice mics and I've got the means to do that stuff, but it's such a learning curve. And since I'm trying to better my craft in writing and, you know, I self publish most of my stuff. So that takes up tons of time. And so I just don't, I miss it, but I don't really, I don't do it anymore. We need to get you and Shane together. Y'all can, you you need to put together a band of people who. It's funny you say that Laurel, because there's, there's a couple different writers that have like punk and hardcore backgrounds. They should all just start a band. <laughs> yeah, it would be really cool because it's, it, it sucks that I don't know how to really do that because you don't even have to meet somebody to like put together music and a full CD because it's just all done through the software and through email. But yeah. I don't know how to do it. 
It's not, and the thing is, is that it's not hugely. I mean, I'm no expert, but it's not hugely difficult to um, combine tracks and make a song out of them. No, it's not. People do it. Um, when I was interviewing uh, Kurt Breck, the singer for DRI, he was telling me about doing the project with Dave Grohl. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dave Grohl did a uh, a project called Probot. I think it was what it was yeah. called, where he took all his like favorite singers like Lemmy and Kurt Breck from DRI and Jack Black and um, uh, I think guy from I can't remember. Anyway, he put these wrote all these songs and recorded them himself, just like he did the first Foo Fighters record. And then he he handpicked singers. And he contacted Kurt from DRI and said, will you sing on this this song? And Kurt said that they never even met. He just sent him the thing through the email and said, write whatever you want. You know, just Kurt chose the melody and the lyrics or whatever and where to sing. Dave didn't point anything out. And then he just he laid down a vocal track, sent it back to Dave and Dave put the that album out. So, yeah, it's it's done like that all the time, even with, you know, professional musicians. It's actually more in common now to see a band in a band room practicing and writing the songs together. It's more common now for at least the ones that are loaded with money to send files back and forth. Yeah, I remember seeing watching a thing on the Eagles one time and it was flashing around to the different musicians in completely different places in the country um, yeah. recording recording parts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, so that's what money buys you right there is the ability to not have to leave home ever. Well, it's probably better for the Eagles anyways. They they don't always get along well, so maybe it's yeah, better yeah, for them that's... to record elsewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no kidding. Exactly. That would be so cool to have, yeah, like an author, like instead of doing like a collaborating anthology thing, like a, 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 a band thing, if, if people knew how to do that, because there are... I'm drawing a blank, and I know uh, Matt Hayward plays guitar, and um, he's got some great recordings. And then, uh, man, why am I drawing a blank on who else plays? Keelan Patrick Burke, I think he plays, maybe sings. Maybe he just sings. I think you're right. I think he sings. And, uh, but yeah, there's, that would be, that would be fun if anybody knew how to yeah, actually you know, put something like that together and have somebody kind of school everybody else on, you know, how to, how to go about, you know, recording with whatever software. You know, who would, I know who would know how to go about that. And it's another musician author, <laughs> um, uh, John Darnielle. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also, also Josh Mailerman. And I don't know about Darnell, but Josh is extremely accessible, so. Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> Josh will nice listen guy. to this and go, that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because that Shane mentioned them back to back because I always said, like, one thing that would be cool is, like, something similar, like those two especially. Like, I was like, oh, they should do, like, you know, a novella piece and then like maybe like a split seven inch because they're both musicians and authors mm-hmm. and then kind of like package it together. That would be awesome, man. That'd be really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I forgot about Jack. I, if you had asked me a couple hours ago, I probably could have told you all these musicians or authors that 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 uh, are musicians. And now, yeah, I just can't. I can't think of anybody. I couldn't even remember that Josh, obviously, um, the most successful of them all, probably with the Shameless and all that. Couldn't remember yeah. that. I do. I do that all the time. Though yeah. things that I that I afterwards go. Dumb fuck, you should have known that. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like what, like Rich asked me one time what my what I thought of '90s horror films, and I said nothing. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and then said, "Well, I don't think I've really watched a whole hell of a lot of them, you know, because I wasn't interested." And then we got, get to talking after the episode, and it's like my favorite movie ever was made in the '90s, you know. <laughs> You know, what, what movie is that? Event Horizon. Okay. As far as horror movies go, I love that thing. Not my favorite ever, but pretty close. It's a good movie. It's a dark movie. It's like Hellraiser in space. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard it described that way. But... It makes perfect sense when you think about it. Yeah, I didn't either until he said it, and then I like had rewatched it, and I was like, "Yeah, that makes perfect sense." <laughs> yeah, I've been meaning to watch that again. I I haven't seen it in a while. Um, I haven't seen it in a couple of years, and I usually watch it right around this amount of time later, so probably soon. Um, I have another question for you, and then we'll start wrapping up and let you uh, yeah. get the hell out of here. Um. Cereal Town, does that smell fucking delicious or horrible? <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. <laughs> that Cereal Town. Battle Creek. Um, okay. I can't. If, if I were to go outside right now, I don't live. It's it's made like downtown, and I don't live near downtown. Um, but if you drive certain areas in Battle Creek, it's it smells like that all the time, and it uh, is awesome. Um, <laughs> but I would imagine if you lived maybe close like to the factories, it might get old. But because I only smell it, um, unless it, like I said, unless I drive kind of in that area, then uh, I don't smell it. But if if I'm not in the area, I only smell it. Uh, it only reaches my house like maybe once or twice a year. I can smell like cocoa pebbles or, or, or something like that cooking, um, and it smells great. And it, it's uh, it's it's I have this thing with nostalgia too. If I smell something, it triggers all kinds of stuff for me, um, and so I'm really hypersensitive to that. The same way I am with music. So when I do smell that, it just makes me think of certain times and stuff. And I know that people that have lived here. And don't live here anymore. Miss the smell. So yeah, it's it's definitely pleasant. Yeah. See, we you mom always liked you best. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, Oregon Oregon got what? screwed. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What did what is okay? What does Oregon smell like? Shane. <laughs> well, we we get paper mills. Oh okay. Uh-huh. We, we have good. the. We have the GIF factory, so we made out okay. Yeah, no, the a paper mill smells worse than a freaking outhouse. 
<laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that, Shane. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I said that, and I went, well, that's kind of awkward. Keep going, man. <laughs> I thought okay. we were gonna, about to get some like deep-seated anger that Shane was holding it. Yeah. Coco Pebbles, God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, at first I, I was so confused because he's like, Mom always liked you. Yeah, back. yeah. So I'm like, <laughs> like, does he think he hung up and he's talking to somebody else? <laughs> I think so uh, Jane. Huh? Random. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I get random sometimes. I'm an idiot. <laughs> it's part of what makes the podcast so awesome. Though. <laughs> I think people t- I think people tune in going, I wonder what kind of stupid shit he's gonna say this week. <laughs> yeah, they're wait they're waiting for like the bloopers. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like when things just go off the rails. <laughs> Just a laugh track. <laughs> so that's a perfect segue then. Jack. Oh yeah, absolutely perfect one. Because <laughs> it has everything to do with uh, saying goodbye. <laughs> See, <laughs> Jack gets it. <laughs> we are notoriously bad at at saying goodbye. <laughs> And see, you know, see, the funny thing about this is, is, um, is that I was trying to, for the very first time, have a graceful exit, and it's, <laughs> up, man. See, it, it's funny you say that because last week I thought we had a really nice one. I was almost there, and then, you, and then you threw something in there at the last second. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. that was that was weird like, of me. I was like, God damn it, we almost did this. <laughs> Rich, Rich, when you're recording, do you constantly have sleeves and ties tickling your head while you're in the closet? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it's pretty spacious. Everything's off to the side. <laughs> okay. I, I, I like this idea of like the Patreon tour, though. Yeah, for I, sure. I want to see the closet, too. I, I don't know where you were yeah. I don't think you do. <laughs> we're we're bringing in a camera crew, buddy. It's gonna be like uh, it's gonna be like MTV Cribs, but only my closet. <laughs> see, I think Chad's probably sitting there thinking, yeah. who was that? Who was that guest that we had that time, Rich? That at the end of it, she ended up going. So are we? Sam. Done? <laughs> that was Sam. Yeah, yeah. Was that Sam? Yeah. 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 Because we saw it. Chad said they're thinking the same fucking thing. Uh, are we going to hang up tonight? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a podcast sandwich. You guys got me coming here on here late at night. I'm, I'm supposed to do another one at 8.30 in the morning. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> we better let him go. Well, who, get, who gets up that early? Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Normal. Apparently, apparently that's the only time that you're able to stare into the abyss. I was wondering <laughs> if that was them. Yeah, <laughs> they, they do early. 
The early birds, yeah. Oh, well, this is me formally refusing to come on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You could just stay up, Shane. (laughs) Yeah, right. After he messaged us at like 4.30 a.m. this morning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, tell the Staring into the Abyss guys we said hi and that we're sorry they're up so early, but... Yeah, <laughs> I, I would I would expect that from like a different country, you know, weird weird, weird hours, but a Sunday morning at eight. <laughs> what the fuck were you guys thinking? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, we really appreciate having you. We really want to have you back again and again and again because it's always fun talking to you and and you're really tolerant. Well, that's because mom always liked me best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had it easy. <laughs> I'm gonna right. change. I think I'm gonna change that to the title of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mom always liked you best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on, and all, uh, all you guys. Thanks for reading and helping out with. Uh, the neon owl is very, very like uh, it, it's a that's a lot to it's such a I don't know it's so um, to have somebody like read and like give you a helping hand you know like give some feedback and stuff like that it's super helpful so absolutely I really appreciate that yeah happy to do it no uh, yeah absolutely with, with your stuff anytime thanks man take it easy brother all right. See you guys. Bye. Bye.